guys, welcome to episode four of Age Thompson and Other Disappointments. My guest this week is an old friend. Um, she and I grew up on the same council estate, but we um, first became mates um, in the Hobgoblin in Maidenhead, which is a pub that we all used to go out and get smashed in. Um, we both moved up separately to London, um, and she has since started up a recruitment and introductions agency in Amsterdam called Fresh Connections. Um, today, we've been talking about loads of stuff. We've been going over like reminiscing old times and British booze culture uh, to Black Lives Matter uh, to what, I don't know, social media might look like in like 10 years time. Uh, it's been a really interesting chat and great to catch up with her. She has a laugh that could fill the room. Um, please give it up for my friend, Maxine Penny. Maxine Penny, hello. That is I, hello. Hello to you. How the fuck are you doing? I am doing very well. <laughs> this is weird, isn't it? It's like, we're sort of, we're old friends, um, but we we don't really catch like i mean we catch up on whatsapp and stuff but um this feel like i mean i'm new to the whole podcasting thing anyway so it's a bit like i always feel a little bit on edge but i feel a little bit like we should be doing this around a pub table in maidenhead yeah. and just chatting about what we're doing and like how our lives are going and all the rest of it but this is as good as it gets in the middle of a pandemic i suppose this is as good as it gets i mean i wish that we could all be around the fireside huddled together yeah memories of, of days past but um yeah this is this is it i've kind of got used to it because i was doing my radio show but then no one really yeah. sees you um and i really hated zoom you know me i didn't like the quizzes on zoom yeah. pandemic so i just was like why do i want to stare at a computer screen but i have got used to it now yeah it becomes sort of i think like your your um like your connection to the out like i was joking with a, a colleague the other day about doing this podcast and i was saying like i mean it seems like i'm trying to explore some new medium or something but actually all it is is i'm a crushingly lonely father and this is what it takes now in the middle of a pandemic is to like to book in a conversation with somebody once a week this is like my only social interaction this um, is it and i'm still running away because i spend most of my time at work on on um because i got a new job so i spend yeah. most of my days having these you know introductions on zoom so by about six o'clock i'm exhausted because you don't get the real connection you don't get the you know the yeah. sort of energy and and things like that it's from, gonna um, be like what do you think the output is going to be at the end of the pandemic let's say everybody's vaccinated uh and then you go into the office or catch up with friends do you think that people are going to adjust to the lack of like skin on skin like touch and, and affection and tactile. So, like, do you think after all of this we're going to be more standoffish, or do you think people are going to go fucking crazy and just tongue kiss in the middle of uh, <laughs> meetings and stuff? French kiss. Yeah, um, I think there's going to be a little bit of both because I, I think that there was this kind of like uh, overwhelming social etiquette where you had to kiss people, and you don't always want to kiss people. Hello, especially if you don't know them. So yeah. I think now you can just be like, oh, I'm still, sorry, pandemic. I mean, you don't know how lonely I am. I'll kiss I mean, I've turned completely opposite. I've turned into a massive introvert, which everyone still laughs about. Um, yeah, I don't I believe that. I've my house for days, but actually I, I notice that my energy levels are not that high if I don't leave the house. And I really have to force myself to leave the house, but I'm quite cosy in the house. You've turned into a bit of a hermit. 
I've turned into the hermit Panay. You've got to be careful with that because I read, um, I follow this lady, Professor Devi Shridhar, I think her name is. Yeah. Um, and she was saying about like how, how important it is in a pandemic to just get out of your house um, yes. and get like sunlight and, you know, the smell yeah. of trees and all the rest of it. And uh, I think if you, if you hermit yourself too much, it's like cabin fever, depression kind of. Yeah, territory. true. I mean, actually, I still try and go for a walk in the park. Um, yeah. I really, I, lucky I live next to a park or go for a walk to the shops. Like I haven't got to that point where I, I can, I only order food online and I never see anyone and I only, you know, yeah. some people, some of my friends did, you know, and the thing is I just, I really hate ordering stuff online. I've never been that person. Yeah. Baby's having a drink. <laughs> Start me young. Yeah. Yeah. Scary baby. Is that what you're like as a dad? <laughs> Not too far from the truth. <laughs> yeah. I haven't quite got him like fetching me beers yet, but. It's yeah. not far away, I don't think. I know one of our friends, not to say his name on air, has already got his little one grabbing him beers. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, see, here's the thing. is, it's, it's one of these things when, before you become a parent, it seems like a terrible parent thing to do. <laughs> I think it's funny. <laughs> and, well, that's good. Uh, but then, like, once you become a parent and then you're just fucking knackered and they've, like, pissed you off all day, like, they've smashed your favourite thing, then yeah. they throw a tantrum at you because you're angry about them smashing your favourite... Like, you reach... You get to the end, like... And then this thought pops in your head and you think, oh, I'll just get the little fucker to go and get me... Like, go into the... You know the wine fridge, yeah? Right, down the bottom of it, there's some cans there. Go and get Daddy one of those cans. Like, and and then it's... Like, you lose the guilt of it because you just, it's like, oh. Well, distraction, isn't it? It's kind of teach them something, get yeah. them distracted, get them off your back. I mean, this is the thing. I don't I don't have kids, but obviously I have sisters that have kids and friends that have kids. I just hear all these stories. I'm like, it does not make me want to have kids. No. I think there's like a bell curve of it where like in your 20s, you think like, it'd be nice to have a family one day. Yeah. And then you get to like 30 and you think, all right, come on, but have some kids soon. And I reckon if I'd got to forty now and I hadn't had kids, and seeing all my friends having kids, I would be, I'd be like, yeah, fuck that. In a different timeline, I'm childless, and I'm yeah. sometimes jealous of that timeline. I mean, you know, again, that there's that kind of thing where it's like that ultimate overwhelming love that you feel. Um, yeah. get shot down like a couple of years later when you're like just get out of that cupboard <laughs> um, when they're 14 and they're like running away from home you're like I thought you'd never be like me and you're like <laughs> yeah yeah it's um, fun like I mean there is that it is truly yeah. unconditional and I'm yeah. super super grateful for having children um but I also like there's a there's a Louis CK comedy bit where he says like that really all parenthood is is like living with this this cosmic like cross galaxy love inside you that allows you to love people like your grandparents and your great grandparents more than you ever thought was ever possible and it's oh. like your love like transcends generations and all that and then he says like and at the same time you regret every decision you ever made that led to them being born. like <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it is a bit like that still maybe one day i mean now with technology and uh you know everything else i still have someone said to me i still have 10 years to go um for sure i think janet jackson had a had a baby when she was like 45 or 46 or something yeah i mean the penne family have um all had kids in their sort of mid to late 40s so yeah 
I never really worried about that. It's not like, you know, I never had that ticking clock either. You know, you've got to have children, but I also never met anyone that I think you, they would be reasonable enough or <laughs> suitable enough to have, a, you know, a yeah. baby without running away. Because, yeah. I think you've got some, some solid foresight there as well, because it's like, it, that's another thing you don't really factor in before you have kids. You think like, I just want to meet someone and like have a family and all the rest. Yeah. Of it. And then when you realise how fucking hard it is, <laughs> you think, thank fuck I didn't do this for somebody who was actually like a third child to look after. Yeah. Because, um, you know, I mean, we, we split things pretty evenly in the house and we've both got jobs. Yeah. And now we've got a newborn screaming and, and a four-year-old throwing tantrums and breaking shit. And it's just like, imagine if like, like I seriously wonder something. I, I'm like, Imagine if Lucy was a total cut, like if she, like if she was like, <laughs> like ah, oh, you didn't get promoted yet. I see. Ah, oh, fuck you. Like, like I mean... you know, that kind of stuff. And then like going, like, what if she was like sleezing onto my friends and stuff? As like this whole, di- like these different facets of drama that people have to deal with every yeah. day of their lives on top of having kids. I'm like, I've got it pretty, pretty easy. <laughs> I mean, not to live my life like a romantic comedy, which I do. (laughs) I value all of my romantic insights from uh, romantic comedies, but you know, or like TV series dramas. I've seen a couple of people, and I've seen friends go through it as well over the years, kind of just being with this partner, and you're like, wow, like how can you cope with that? Plus a job, plus trying to stay healthy, plus, you know, having a family. Plus, you know, keeping up with social media. And, and it just, you know, I, I never thought that I was um, ambitious, but I've, I've just always kind of thrown myself into work and, and sort of like my friends and, yeah, yeah. just my, well, not myself <laughs> so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> healthier that I would be desperately scrambling for my health now. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the other thing I was going to just touch on was. Um... Uh, so when you were saying like you you a little bit happier being a bit hermit now, um, do you think that's because you went out so much <laughs> in like your twenties <laughs> and thirties that you, like now you're just like you know what staying in a little bit would be quite nice. I think so. I think it's like twenty years at yeah. least because I mean I started drinking you know sort of around fifteen or sixteen. Yeah, and that yeah. was pretty late for someone in the UK. I think everyone else was getting you know pissed on the on the school field at like 12 13 right but yeah um, yeah i was a bit uh, late to the game too i was about 15 i think the first time i got pissed yeah. what was your first alcoholic drink i think um i mean my mum had given me you know every so often a glass of wine you know trying to ease you in because that's what you're supposed to do so it's not like you know this big big thing you're looking but i think yeah. i had um uh, I, like, I like that it's like easy like like a British parental response, like, you're going to get into this, so let's just give you some fucking tolerance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> give me a little bit of whiskey if I had a cold when I was younger on, on the uh, in the bottle. But anyway, that's that's another yeah. story. Um, I think I, it was actually a pint of cider. Yeah. So I think it was cider, um, 2020. Um, yeah, yeah. K-Cider. I think it was, it was cider because it's a bit sweeter and it's a bit easier to drink, right? I think mine might have been a K-Cider as well. Really? Yeah. Good it was, it was either K cider or Labatt Ice, but I'm Ooh. reasonably confident it was K cider in think... o- Oak and Grove Park. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it was a K yeah, it was K cider for me, yeah. Yeah. And then it just progressed onto Snake Bite and Black. Yeah. Um, you know, double J D and Cokes. 
uh, you know, 50p a shot on a Thursday night uh, for Zambuca. Yeah. Then rolling into Smokey Joe's and getting um, the TVR tequila vodka, vodka Red Bull jug. Yeah, yeah. Um, I imagine... I imagine the young, like the, well, mid-teens, isn't it, 15? I imagine yeah. like a mid-teen experience with alcohol is significantly different for girls than it is for boys for this reason. Because if you're a 15-year-old girl and you have 3K cider, you know at that point, well, first off, you know that you can get into the pubs in town because yeah. I remember this from when I was like, you know, 16, uh, then like girls that I knew would get into pubs no problem but for the guys and this is like the experience I'm getting onto for guys it's like <laughs> they still they can't put makeup well they can put makeup on but it's you know that's slightly yeah. different uh, trajectory um uh so there's so like the girls go off into the pub and get bought drinks by like older guys or whatever meanwhile like the 15 year old boy <laughs> is just like sat in a cold park in maidenhead <laughs> like it's true. They didn't really have a chance, did they? No. I remember sort of when I turned eighteen and being so happy that I didn't have to like you know do this fake ID. I didn't. Ha I didn't have a fake ID, but I just used to memorize like you know an, a different birth date. But I was so bad with maths and numbers, and if I panicked, like yeah. I just probably did it wrong anyway. But I never got asked. So when I got to eighteen, I remember sort of walking into my lo my favorite local yeah. and sort of like, oh, I'm eighteen now, and they were like, um. You've been here for the last <laughs> two years, and I was like, ah, let's just ignore what I just said and like ran off, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's my nineteenth. I misspoke. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I I still didn't drink. I I started when I was fifteen. I still didn't drink that much. But when I hit my mid, my, no, sort of my early twenties, I think, um, and I that's when I really drank. And then when I moved into London, I also again just, you know, yeah. at I think you're right in terms of. I think the last 20 years, I've had such a great time. I've been out, whatever. And my body's just like, no, bitch, you're old now. And I thought it would never <laughs> be. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, let's be like, if, like, here, here we are talking, chatting away on a podcast. But yeah. in like two days time, I mean, it's Tuesday night <laughs> now. Right. Yeah. Thursday, like Mondays and Tuesdays are easy days to, you know, say, oh, do you know what? It's nice to stay in. But like by Thursday night. What's going to happen when one of your, like, cool, trendy Amsterdam guys texts you and goes, like, I just, I'm not going to do an accent. But, like, <laughs> if, if he's like, oh, I heard there's an amazing party down the road and free this and free that. You want to come? I mean, to be honest, if that was last year, I would be like, yes. Yeah. But because I really had to, um, like, really s sit with myself... I honestly, because my friends used to be like, you know, Jomo or whatever, like the joy of missing out. And I, I always had FOMO. Mm. Um, and now, like, I think I had a hangover the other day and it took me like a whole week to recover. Really? Usually it didn't. And it just kind of petrified me. You yeah. know, I was like, why? I mean, I had a good time, yes, but like, is it worth it? So I think I've just become a bit more like, like is is that maybe if it's like once a month now, like if yeah, you have a wild one, and then I'm and then I'm dead, and then yeah. I really want to some work, so I'm like, <laughs> no. I will say this, like, so like when, yeah, I'm sure your sister has said similar stuff to this effect before, but like, when you become a parent and you are restricted in, well, not every parent is, but if if you've got childcare problems, right, and you're a bit restricted in terms of what nights out you can go to yeah. or, like, gigs you can do or, or whatever, it does make you 
uh, cherish the nights that you like. And, and this year, I feel extra gutted because ordinarily, a few friends of ours do a big Christmas reunion for friends yeah. in Maidenhead, right? And uh, without like, it sounds a bit sad and a bit tragic for me to say, well, maybe it doesn't, but like, I genuinely look forward to that for like maybe 10, 12, 16 weeks before. Like, I'm like, it's going to be so much fun to catch up with friends and see yeah. what they're all up to and get pissed and have a like dance and like yeah and then you can handle it yeah yeah like well i guess because it's over christmas right you've got two yeah. weeks to nurse the hangover but yeah i think if i was out like like we used to you know in the beer years oh god yeah every night of the week every night and still get up and go to work and yeah you know, still get leathered do you think it's like that as you get older it's harder to manage the hangover or do you think it's as you get older, you feel like you shouldn't be doing this anymore and you like it's a bit boring. And so then you sort of like it's like psychosomatic, like you wake up the next day and you're like, oh, what the fuck am I doing with myself? Like, I think I think, you know, that's a bit like it was for me. I mean, when I was going out in my heyday of the last what five years in, in the scene, in the music yeah. scene, um, I mean, everyone was always shocked, at, like, you know, how old I'm like, not old, but like you're still out I love it and I, I I actually had this sense of pride and joy that I still was out having a good time but not in mm. that sort of creepy older woman way you know just like I kind of just knew where I could go in walk in on guest list or sit in the you know like not that yeah. I ever sit in the VIP but just you know having that kind of older a bit more mature way of going out and really enjoying music and, and being with my mates rather than getting yeah. like absolutely hammered and not remembering the night and losing a shoe and yeah. <laughs> you know, bag along with it and just Fag burn on this arm and <laughs> yeah exactly just and um, you know but i think now it's you know my priorities have slightly changed so it's like i am a bit like is that a waste of time or like let's do it on a friday night and then by you know sunday i have to be wrapped up for the next you know four days whereas yeah. before like yeah let's go for that afternoon wine or you know yeah i suppose it's like the the kind of Amsterdam personification of what I imagine the two sides of Ibiza are like. So like yeah. you, you get like the Ibiza uncovered trashy teenagers on holiday after their exams, and then yeah. supposedly you get this other side of the island which is actually really beautiful and yeah. uh, quite hippy dippy and you know yeah like acid tabs going around and exactly. Like, and everyone's like true love, peace and love. Yeah, That's yeah. Cool. I've experienced Ibiza on both sides and I've experienced Amsterdam on both sides. Everyone's quite spiritual here. Yeah. Um, and because the city's so small, if you want to go home, you can just jump on your bike and go home. Yeah. You know? Whereas in London, you were kind of just stuck somewhere or you had to pay for a cab or it was like, you know, quite a long journey to, so you might as well go all in, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I often wondered if that had, if, if that had like an impact on like how sleazy London men are. So like, <laughs> If you if you go out in London and you get talking to a girl in a bar, uh, you have to fucking lock it down like then and there, or you'll yeah. never fucking see that girl again. Because there's yeah. obviously so many bars and so many like it's so populated and um, and I wonder if like if like as a foreigner if you came over to London you would be struck by how sleazy London men are on that basis. But I don't Dutch know. women say it all the time. Dutch women hate. Um... English men, because they're like, I don't want to get a, you know, don't offer me a drink and like, don't come up and talk to me. Really? Yeah. So they're, they're like, you know, all these sleazy guys. Whereas I was the other way around. I was like, Dutch men are so boring. 
because no one says anything to you and no one says hello because yeah. there's so many women here and the women are really aggressive here so if i don't show a guy i like him i'm i'm probably one getting shoved out the way and another girl will take him off and bash him over the head and take him home <laughs> to me as well so i was very unlucky in love here because you know and that's also why i think i went out quite a lot because it was just different culture yeah yeah do you think like so you're in you're in amsterdam and we're on the cusp on the precipice of brexit um yeah. is there a like a perception of brits over there that you have to deal with or is it it, it, like do they kind of see you as oh no you're like you're one of us in amsterdam but like back in your home country you guys seem fucking nuts like what's the perspective i think um well yeah because i've been here for 12 years that most dutch people are like oh she's in amsterdam now um but they are like what the hell is happening in the uk yeah. i'm like i'm not all brits are the same and no. they just feel like you're very uneducated um, they just feel like the politicians are stupid and, you know, they're just, they're just, you know, because the Dutch are very kind of um, direct and just like, right, we're just going to, you know, they're very process orientated and it just seems like yeah, they just don't know what they're doing. And so sometimes I do find myself apologising for being a Brit. <laughs> <laughs> Have I mean, you ever... I'm quintessentially British and I was like, I, you know, I love the UK and I try and defend it, but sometimes when I see it, I'm like, yeah I'm not sure if it i can i suppose like yeah occasion like if it's if it's just the english football team being a bit shit or you know yeah. an embarrassing song gets to christmas number one or something like then yeah. you could kind of shrug it and like defend it and go like well you know it's not it's not every i don't even like football or yeah i'm not into mr blobby like but when I... it's something like brexit <laughs> that gets like voted for with the majority or you know then it's you're like oh it's so hard to fucking defend this shit oh it is because you can also see the outside media because I've lived here for so long. Like mm. I, mean, I stopped reading the newspaper and I stopped reading magazines probably two or three years before I moved to Amsterdam yeah. because I didn't realize that they always had a political agenda. So sometimes when you're in it, you don't see it. And I research a lot. I'm not ignorant. I sort of look at different news sources and, and you know, I like educate myself, but um, you know, and ask friends and friends opinions. But I think like a lot of people in the UK, they just see the sun they just see the Daily Mail. They just see, yeah. you know, these headlines. And they kind of don't realise that they're just being fed, you know, absolute shit. So yeah. it's hard to blame people that don't know. But at the same time, you're like, well, why don't you just look at look at other different bits of information and make up your own mind? The trouble <laughs> is, is that many, many people, I would almost argue that the majority of people are a blend of... I don't care really and I don't have yeah. time to go and look at that um, yeah. and then the other people are like um, well I trust that at some point things will balance like, themselves out so yeah. like I, I look back at the last election here where like I didn't vote conservative but I, always, yeah. I also wasn't particularly enamoured with Jeremy Corbyn but I just thought well <laughs> if that's the option I, like alright I'll, I'll vote for him um, but I knew he wasn't going to get in for the simple yeah. like here's here's how I I end up down a sort of a black hole of depression with where where the UK is at the moment. So yeah. I get to a point where I'm like, okay, the last time Labour were in power, 
was with Tony Blair, and Tony Blair won that election, that first one, on the basis that he had Rupert Murdoch supporting him and pumping out sun stories every day saying, yeah. vote Blair, and Blair says this, and he's great, and meanwhile trashing all the Tories and saying that they were sleazy and exposing them, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So you got Rupert Murdoch here supporting Blair. Blair gets in. Blair does two terms or three terms, I think, as Prime Minister, and, uh, and then Gordon Brown took over for a little bit. Yeah. Um, Garden Brown. <laughs> I've never heard that before. That's great. Um, so, so then, so Blair's then in, and then when Murdoch turns the tide, then Labour are out, and then Cameron comes in because Murdoch yeah. is backing him. So the way that I see it is that most people are either idiot sun readers or they're just totally switched off and they don't care and they they'll just wait for things to sort themselves out. Yeah. But I can't see a Labour government getting in or any sort of pressure changing the Conservatives uh, to, to move away from this sort of batshit Brexity, uh, right, super right wing kind of way of governing yeah. unless they get the sun on board. And I don't see that happening anytime soon. And unfortunately, uh, here's, here's the real problem is that like in yeah. other countries, probably Netherlands, probably like the US and, and yeah. Australia, they have newspapers and in, in the morning on the news shows like Breakfast TV, it's just like a, a little thing. Like they just go like, yeah, the New York Times released an expose today and they're covering yeah. Tiger Woods and he did this, blah, 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 blah. But it's not like they, they don't set the agenda in the same way that they do here. Like on BBC Breakfast, I... Sky News, everything, they all go, yeah. right, what do the papers say to, today, guys? Oh, right, let's go through them. The Sun have got this and the Star yeah. have said this. And because they're all fucking right wing papers, then they yeah. set the talking points for the rest of the day. And then LBC and Radio 1 and Radio 4 and all the rest of them keep talking about it. Yeah. So in le like, if you pan out and you backtrack all the way back to Murdoch supporting stuff, until he changes or someone like overthrows yeah. him, nothing will change and things will get worse. Uh, yeah. and when it's... I I go to that level of it and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I should just fucking kill myself. <laughs> well, you say kill yourself. I always then start to start thinking, why don't I just become a um, uh, an assassin? I'm like, if you just assassinated just a few of those top people, then it would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, you know like, you'd I, have to leave I, your flat though for that, right? Depressed. I start to get depressed and annoyed and I'm like, right, I'm going to fucking kill you know, these arseholes. I wish I could be like killing Eve. You know, those... I will I will assassinate these people if they come to my flat. <laughs> if they go, because I sit <laughs> at home. I mean, the, 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 what I see the issue being, and, and this is, I think you, re you really are right. Some people just, it's not that they don't care. It's just maybe they are literally working so hard to put money and food on the table. Yeah have time to kind of go off and again that that stems from education and, and things like that so you know the class system in the uk you can you can see it you know if mm. you're poor or if you're not you're not um and i think in the us as well you have box news sort of doing the same thing with you know their right-wing media and and trump and so when, when brexit happened i was really shocked because I was living in my little left-wing bubble or my socialist bubble, let's say, mm. in London with all my friends who kind of think the same. And I just kind of thought we'd moved on from there. Yeah. And so I was really shocked when Brexit happened. And then, you know, the subsequent kind of sort of villainization of immigrants and, you know, not showing black or Indian uh, nurses on the NHS when they were saying, let's clap for the NHS. And yeah. they were just kind of whitewashing the, the, the media. And then... 
I mean, I always wish that I'd, I'd made a bet that Trump would win because mm. after Brexit, I was like, if that can happen, then this can definitely happen. And everyone was like, no, no, no. And I wish I'd just put that million dollar bet on, you know, because I would have been fucking rich and then I could have changed it as an assassin. Yeah. And then I would... <laughs> but I mean... <laughs> Like combining two fantasies into one, then exactly. Yeah, if you assassinate these people, they also become then like sort of icons or heroes. So, yeah, the only thing I said about Trump and about the UK government, not the only thing, <laughs> lols, um, was that sometimes we need bad things to happen yeah. so that you know that we can then relook at the processes because otherwise the governments and the politicians will just stay the same. I think you're right, so that systemic policy will just stay the same. So it unfortunately needed to happen. So how do we as the people build it up? Yeah, I think there's a sort of pendulum effect to it where nobody, like, I mean, everyone draws parallels with Brexit and Trump all day long. But like, I think in a very, very similar fashion, nobody thought Brexit was going to get voted for. Nobody thought Trump would actually get in. Um, And so then when it did swing that way, um, or to the right, probably should be, um, Uh, then I think what it, there, there was a sort of shockwave effect. And what you're now seeing in American politics is this drastic move straight to, I mean, I was going to say straight to the left, like like Biden got sufficient support to, to get in. Um, and I think that's largely because there's a lot of like centre and lefty votes who were just like, if we don't get out, like, like they might have been lazy yeah. last time. Um and they probably thought, if we don't actually get out and do something, we're going to get this fucking clown in for another four years. Let's so. get out. Let's, like... Because it, it's that thing about, like, silence is violence. It's like, well, you know, someone else might do... Will probably do it. Oh, I didn't make it to the polls today, but my one vote doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. And then it was like, oh, we got fucked up. Or, like, you saying you, you didn't really vote. And I didn't really vote when I was growing up either because, I, well, also because I grew up in a religion where we weren't supposed to vote. But... um mm. You know, then not knowing anything when I left the religion to kind of understand, and no one could really tell me about politics. So growing up, um, not not voting mm. and not kind of you know having that from your parents or anything like that. When I I remember sort of being in London and being like, well, so who who do you vote for? Who should I vote for? And no, no one could really explain it to me, so I just never voted. You know? Yeah, I don't think that's abnormal either. I think a lot of people yeah. just sort of it, it's probably. It's probably sorting itself out now because I think with Twitter and people sharing shit on Facebook constantly, I think people rightly or wrongly think that their opinion matters way more. So, like, if... Like, I was talking to a a friend of mine from the comedy world a a few weeks ago and uh, I was saying, you know, back in the day, you would say something stupid in a pub and then your mate would just shut you down and go like, shut the fuck up. What the fuck are you talking about? And then that would be the end of it. You'd be you'd, like, you'd go away hurt. You'd think like, oh fuck, I said something stupid there. Like, oh, I won't say that again. Yeah. And then like now you go on Twitter and say the same thing and fucking a hundred people like it and retweet it. And that, encur- that makes you go like, fuck yeah. I, uh, yeah, the world is flat. And, um, <laughs> and then you end up in this, like you think your opinion matters, even though it's yeah. fucking nonsense. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a lot of Facebook warriors out there and a lot yeah. of, of social media warriors. And, and I went also to, with Black Lives Matter. I was, but I was sharing, you know, and I always check my information. You know, I always think, am I going to say something stupid? And, you know, can I back this up? So most things I said. And then, you know, actually, literally this week, I'm like, do I even want to continue sharing my opinion? Because what does it matter? Like, I just need to do the kind yeah. of... Well, I can research now. It does because I think it's also a release. 
I think it released a lot and, you know, I did have some good conversations and some bad, but yeah. I think it also depends on how you define, like how you look at your social media because it's easy to look at it in a sort of cartoon sense where like, yeah, I'll post this because that's the thing I'm thinking about today. And then the next day you do a selfie and you're like, yeah, because my hair's looking all right today. Yeah. Not me today, but like... (laughs) Like, but it's there's this sort of caricature of like someone on social media. But in actual fact, if you think forward, like ten years from now, twenty years from now, this is all going to be on a database somewhere. And in like in a weird way, sounds weird to say it, but it will end up being like the diaries of the day. So yeah. you will look back at your social media in like twenty years time and be like fuck yeah like black lives matter fuck like what was i saying like what was i thinking at the time why did i think that what were people saying about what i was like it would be like a i already do it with facebook memories it says like on this day eight years ago yeah and i was like feel really depressed gonna drink myself to death with a you know gallons of wine and i was (laughs) like what was i thinking And one of my friends said, oh, yeah, it was when Brexit happened. And I was like, oh. So it's yeah, good forgiven. to yourself. Yeah. I, th- I think it's good, you know, I don't. I used to write a diary when I was younger. Yeah, you don't write diaries anymore. It no. probably is going to be nice to kind of look back and be like, yeah, I, I was an activist and I stood up and I, I said something. Can I shut people down? Yeah. Arguments on Facebook at 4 a.m. in the morning. It was a weird time that for, like, <laughs> mid- middle class home counties white guys because yeah it's sort of like that the whole movement exploded and it was um it was obviously a very emotive video that kicked it all off uh well it didn't really kick it off but i mean it ignited it right yeah, it ignited on, it, yeah. earlier this year um and i shared like like everyone shared the black square on their instagram yeah and I caught some flack from some people about it, and they said like, "Oh, so have you have you changed the world today by like sharing your, yeah. your black square?" <laughs> and and I was like, "I know it's silly, like to sort of you know to to mock you know me and my sort of my little house in the home counties and." Yeah. But I, I was like, "I know I have <laughs> I have black friends," <laughs> and I was, I was like, like <laughs> "I would hate for them to think that." I, I was not being supportive. And if, if, if me sharing this in just some very, you know, silly little A. Thompson way can just show them that I'm not against it and that I'm on board with it and I support it. Um, even if it, you know, I'm not, I'm not like donating, I'm not out on marches or anything, but if like, it's a, a silly thing that a guy who's basically locked up in a house looking after two kids, like if it's a thing, a little thing I can do, then maybe that will help some someone or something you know like yeah w- was the way that i was looking at it um, i agree with you because some people really got got a lot of black that and i posted it and someone was like do you know that you actually should post it with this and not with the you know the black lives matter hashtag and i'm like we're all learning not everyone was having this conversation six months ago no i, mean, I have always been having this conversation because you know i've i've always ha- come up against those conversations oh you know um yeah, you're a black woman or you're this or that or things that work, you know, and, and just like little things that I would, you know, because I, I, I don't mind educating. I never really got angry, but you know, this also brought up a lot of trauma and a lot of things like, oh, that did happen because it was this. Yeah. For me, it was it was nice to see friends supporting it because some friends didn't say anything and that hurt even more because I was like, that means you don't care about me. 
Yeah, I mean, I suppose... No, 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 that sounds really harsh, but it's like, you don't, you know, like, and, and obviously I wouldn't sort of, you know, bring them out to dry and sort of be like, we're not going to be friends anymore unless they did something really bad. But, you know, mm. at the same time, it's really nice to be validated for your experiences. Yeah, and I, I suppose it's like, you've got to be a bit, uh, what's the word, sensitive to what people themselves, it, like, they may have just had a fucking rough two weeks of their own life, like in yeah. that same period and they just didn't get around to posting it or they didn't yes. you know they were aware of it but they just like their mum died or their you know true and it also was covid mm. so it was like we were right at the beginning of the pandemic and then you know which also i think highlighted it as well yeah yeah, yeah. but then there's there's the sort of flip side of it where i i have to sort of check myself where i'm like okay look i saw the video the video is fucking gross uh, yeah something has to change and i'm, I'm yeah. bewildered when i see uh that sort of like ap apparatus in america that it's it's still going on and it's still just getting like brushed up under the carpet yeah. etc and then i sort of think like there is a bit of like american fetishism to this in the sense that if that was a eskimo guy who was like suffocated to death or you know or, or but, like murdered by a policeman um yeah in let's say it happened well maybe not an eskimo but like if it was if it was somebody else in a different country in like you know eastern yeah. europe or like out of mongolia or like somewhere do i can i credibly say that i think it would have had the same reaction worldwide as black lives matter did and no. i don't think it would you know why? So it, no, so it is, like, why is that? Is that because we in the UK and, and the rest of, like, Western and Northern Europe identify way, way more with American society because of, like, films and music and so on? Or is it that we think, like, America's kind of cool and then when a big protest movement kicks off, then we're like, ah, us too, yeah, we're here too. Like, is, is there an element of that? No, no, it's basically the systemic fact and facts in data that every day a black man gets killed like that by police. Mm. So there's 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 a huge amount. Every, loads of people get killed by the police every day, every week, every year. But the, the numbers are that they consistently and system systemically go after black men. Mm. And so this, if you've watched Thirteenth, it's like they stopped slavery only to put it into a jail jail sentence. Yeah. You know, the jails make money out of you know sort of stopping black men. So a black man gets stopped for a $20, you know, uh, bit of weed yeah. and he gets 30 years in jail. Yeah. It's like a white guy and he gets a rap on the knuckles or, you know, all the, all the, the rich kids, rich, rich white kids who are selling cocaine and sleeping with prostitutes get a rap on the knuckle. Mm. And I can say Brock Turner, who was, you know, sort of a star swimmer, he raped a woman and they saw him doing it. Yeah. And he got off within six months because he had a life before him and we don't want to ruin it. Whereas if that was a black guy, he would be on the death penalty. So the, yeah. the, the, the issue is, is that it is about the color of their skin in the US. We're not fetishizing anything, you know, and not just black people, but people of color, anyone that's not white, basically. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're getting this treatment. So it was just, it was just the finality of like, not one more person. Mm like an animal on the street and i mean actually it didn't start with george floyd it started with amy cooper in the new york park 
with the bird watcher. That's where That's it started. That's right, yeah. In, in fact, who was the uh, woman that was pulled over and... Oh, fuck me. I, I can't remember her name. Um, she was pulled over by a police officer and he just goes up. Immediately, he's aggressive. And she's yeah. like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, hold it. Like, and, and so then yeah. after him being aggressive to her for about sort of two minutes or something, she starts yeah. then getting a little bit lippy or a bit aggressive like i would like if somebody was there supposedly to protect and serve me and they're being aggressive i might be a little bit cheeky back um and then because she's being cheeky back to him he fucking drags her out of the car by her hair and she ends up hanging herself in the police cell because she thinks that she's gonna i can't remember the specifics of the situation now but i think there was some impact with her job that if she had been arrested she was just gonna lose her job um so she committed suicide so it's like yeah obviously there's a catalogue of incredibly awful crimes that happened before floyd but i feel like floyd was the thing that that really sparked it yeah i mean again like black lives must have been going on for a long time but i know who you're talking about and i really wish i could remember her name because when i went to the us with some of our friends in 2015 it just happened and i was terrified to go to the us because i said i'm a black woman if they stop me and they don't listen, mm. then I, I can die mm. on the street. And I don't think she killed herself. Uh, killed herself. I think they killed her. Yeah, there was a lot of... Um... They've also done that with a lot of people. And you see the body cam stuff now and you're like, oh my fucking God, you know? What's the like, body cam stuff? Um, of all policemen. Oh, they body cam, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and they still don't care, actually. Um, mm. Yeah. This I'm is like, the thing. searching for her name because I'm like, I really want to know what her name is now. Yeah, this isn't Joe Rogan. I don't have like a, a guy like Jamie. Can you just look that up for me? Um, I mean, oh, Sandra Bland. That's right. Yeah. Yes. She te- that terrified me, and that was in 2015. And actually, just as I'm, I'm looking at it, it's like Kimberly Crenshaw. Um, you know, like Brianna Taylor. There's there's yeah. so many people. And the and guy so- who was the guy that. Um, uh, he was just out for a morning jog and those two oh my guys. God. Yeah. Do you remember Aubrey, that? Aubrey, um, Aubrey, uh, yeah, I think yeah, it was yeah. Aubrey, right? I think so. Um, Again, you can't go out for a, a run because you're black. You can't go. Yeah. I think this is the, this is the definition, uh, or, or the yeah. distinction that a, a lot of people are missing. And I, I suppose it goes back to what I was talking about before about like Americana yeah. and fetish, fetishization of, um, uh, of america but um i think it's this systemic element to it where yeah. it's like look just because you know your dad is a cop and you yeah. say he's not racist because he's got black friends and he yeah. loves you know the the yeah. 49ers or whatever right that's yeah. that's all great i'm sure he's a great guy but yeah. it's the fact that he works for a police force that is set up in such a way that they have to let's say supply the local jails with a hundred more guys and in order to get those hundred guys they go to the low or impoverished neighborhoods and let's say that those impoverished neighborhoods tend to be made up of ethnic minorities and so on and so the whole system is set up to basically take this group of people and then put them in this place this institution yeah Yeah. and then it's it's the 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 total lack of a route out there like i feel like in the uk we're a little bit more uh progressive in this sense although for how much longer that lasts i don't know but if you go to prison in the uk it's not the end of your fucking life it's like you go to prison they'll give you a free degree (laughs) 
you can train in you know, in 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 prison like let's say you do like a five-year stretch you could get a degree and maybe even a master's yeah and come out yeah i used to make make this stupid joke like free meals work out get a hot body and a degree fine boom Um, boom i mean there was a vice documentary that it was about this um this writer and he actually got sent to what's the worst prison you can get sent to in, in the uk in london um What's it called? Do you remember? Is there one in Pentonville? And there's no, it's not Pentonville, but like Wormwood Scrubs is a famous one, isn't it? Yeah, it's Wormwood Scrubs. So he he does something where he gets done for fraud. He mm. didn't know that he was signing this document that then you know his business partner, yeah, like, basically he got fucked over and he got sent to um, prison. And he was saying it's like it's it's nothing in the UK. It's just yeah. like. You know, just go in, get a sloppy meal, and like he goes, he met some really like sweet guys. I mean, he spent five years in, in jail. I, I, I wish I could find it and send it to you. I'll, I'll try and find it. But I think it's. I don't, I don't think you, the UK is bad. Is as bad, but you know what happens in the UK is when when they're told that they can be racist and blame stuff on immigrants. That's you know, then you get kind of this these microaggressions on the bus, like go back to your own country and all that, and that makes me sad because I'm like, mm. we were living in the UK. For a long time and yeah you know, where do you think your indian takeaway comes from where do you think your chinese takeaway comes from it's where so you- yeah it's so crazy like as as a brit to yeah. have grown up in the 80s and 90s uh and to have assumed that we were kind of past that it was like yeah. ignorance on my part um but I sort of assumed that because like in in the 80s and like, like we, we always pride ourselves in the UK of being yeah. like uh, less racist than, than, than the US. Because we're like, yeah. oh, I can't believe they like run around throwing the N word and like, you know, exactly. shooting black dudes in the like That's fucking nuts. Yeah. But we always conveniently forget that whole awkward 80s period where people were throwing literal human shit at, like, Pakistani businesses. And, yeah. and not even Pakistani businesses. Like, it, you'd be like a... Anyone that's not English. Yeah, just somebody that was a little bit darker than you. And yeah. you'd be like, fucking Pakistan. Like, like this <laughs> yes. horrible period that yeah. people just, as soon as it got to 1990, people were like, well... Yeah, that's done. Happened. Punk yeah. and uh, the Spice Girls happened. I mean, because the thing is, I used to because I didn't know. Again, I mean, you know, I also used to call myself half caste because that's what I thought that I yeah. was called. Until someone said to me, oh, "You can't say that anymore. You're mixed race." And I must say, I rarely experienced any racism when I was growing up. Mm. Even though I was kind of one of the only black girls at say at school or mixed race girls, I think there was another Indian girl at school. Yeah, you know, no one ever in our scene or in our pub had, has ever. <laughs> said anything you know i think maybe yeah. you know i have the nickname black scene or you know but that's just hilarious yeah um, i think i mean someone said something ridiculous once and i just laughed it off because i just didn't feel like in that way actually for me the first time i kind of experienced segregation or racism was when i moved into london and everyone's like oh you're black and that was from the black community not be, not racist, but like, oh, you don't fit in here, or or, or what you think you're too posh. And I was like, no, excuse me, <laughs> you know, and and then sort of not fitting into kind of either way because then, you know, yeah. I had a lot of white friends, and I worked in the city, and I worked, you know, at these banks, and I worked, you know, I worked really hard to to get where I was, and then it's like, you know, again, you kind of move to Amsterdam, and and you know there's a lot of kind of 
um, uh, yeah, there's there's people from Suriname, from Indonesia. Mm. You know, there's, there's lots of other cultures here, Moroccan um, and Turkish, but no one actually integrates. So again, I was kind of the only white. I'm the only white. <laughs> <laughs> there she goes. Yeah. The only I will not stand for this cultural reappropriation. <laughs> I'm a white woman. Don't you <laughs> You know, again, sort of working working for leaders in leadership roles yeah. as kind of a black person, but I kind of fit it in because my name's Maxine Penny and I sound quite posh, you know. And Do you ever feel like I was going to ask you about this, like, like because you and I both come from the same council estate? Yeah. In uh, in Maybe. How dare you? Badger Close was not a council estate. <laughs> but it's like, <laughs> like I I grew up on council estates in Maidenhead as did you yeah but i feel like i'm reasonably well spoken for a guy that came from council estates i think we're all quite reasonably yeah spoken. and I, I don't know what it is because my sisters who are eight ten and twelve years older than me their friends used to say to my sister and say why does maxine sound so plummy why does she sound so good so i don't know if it was kind of our era but i also think my sisters are quite well spoken yeah some of her friends maybe not. <laughs> but do you ever feel like because I I I sometimes look back on like being in school and stuff. Not so much when I was older, but like I I think like okay, so I was like on my council estate, I was the sort of well-spoken one. Yeah. So I don't really fit in there. And then when I went to school, you sort of I mean it's a it's a uh, I don't know so like sociological fact that you sort of warm to people who are kind of similar to you which is yeah, kind of yeah. half the problem with racism but when i was the at school bias. yeah yeah like when i was at school i um immediately like struck up a friendship with chuck also yeah. quite well spoken um it, there was a guy i became well actually two guys i became quite friendly with in like year uh like year seven like right at the beginning of senior school and like all the way through my friends were sort of they sounded a bit like me yeah um but they all lived in fucking like five six bed houses yeah uh with like and both the parents were still together and the dad was yeah. a director in a company like pulling in big bucks and so it's like i didn't fit in on the council estates because they would all be like yeah you are hey, dude like, you know hey dude hey, yeah you are hey, what, that, what? yeah <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, and I'd be like, oh, just don't just attack me. You look free, I'm shy. <laughs> <laughs> just this weak, like, 12-year-old, no, oh, just take my money. Um, and then, yeah, like, and then as I got older, then, like, my friends who were well-spoken, would all, you know, I, I didn't feel like I fitted in there either. And um, But I just wondered, like, so have you had, like, sort of a similar experience or does that sound, like, totally foreign to you or...? No, I actually think you're right. And I didn't really think about it until you said it. So, yeah, again, we grew up on this council estate. But, I, you know, my dad had his own business for a short period in the 80s before the first uh, recession mm. um, hit and killed a lot of, you know, businesses. And But we would go on two, two holidays. Yeah, and I mean, I say holidays. We would go to Devon and we would go to Cornwall and we'd go camping, which is really nice. But a lot of, you know, the families in our you know, on our road wouldn't be able to do that. So we were like considered posh. Yeah. I mean, again, we had, there was five children. So, I mean, it was super expensive and we'd get, you know, get into the car and we'd go. But then 
I also feel the same, like, and that's why I also, always used to like, grow up in Maidenhead near Windsor. And then our <laughs> friends would have, like, you know, swimming pools in their back gardens or, yeah. you know, they were, but again, you never kind of fit in there. And I was always a bit like, am I poor kid? But no, I, I kind of just held myself to their kind of standards. And I, I would try and fit in with them. I don't know why. And so yeah. when I went to London, the same thing, I was just like, well, if you don't want to accept me, I'm just going to go and continue yeah. doing this. I sort of feel like I, I went down a similar trajectory where I was like desperate to leave Maidenhead from about yeah. fuck, like like the idea of being a fish out of water did not scare me or phase me at all. I was like, I just need to get the fuck out of here. Like, yeah. um, and I finished uni at twenty one, and then I was still in Maidenhead for about two, like from twenty two to twenty five, I think. And uh, but like all through that time, desperate to fuck off. Um, yeah. and then finally I did and I was like yeah. as soon as I spent the first night in Turnpike Lane which is a shithole uh, yeah. I was like I'm so happy to be here right? yeah I don't know. the thing is I love I love to hate Maidenhead as well because I you know of course it's it's our hometown but I think I'd already escaped to Crete when I was 18 oh yeah remember I ran away to Crete with that guy yeah <laughs> I do remember and that that was a drama in itself, and then I came back, and um, I came back to Maidenhead, and then but I still really wanted to escape, and also again, really, you know, as soon as I could, sort of moved into London. Yeah, moving up to London for people who who don't necessarily feel like they fit in or like there's some sort of sensitivity yeah. there, I think is the best thing ever because it's like whatever corner of London you decide to inhabit that weekend. Um, yeah. The, the the sort of I don't know the there's an excitement that like I've since forever since I was like fucking ten years old or something the first time I went to London yeah um, I got a buzz I was like this is where the fucking magic happens <laughs> like yeah. like I'm in a Disney movie like wow I was like the streets are paved with gold I was like get me to London and I I would go in I didn't care if I slept at Paddington on the way back or yeah you know somehow try and get home you know on, on the sort of you know hour and a half train journey if you missed the, the fast train i just was like i'm just gonna do it and i would i found friends in london i stayed with people in london i mean i just you know yeah. that's an to also like being able to just go and do whatever you want and like meet people and just go out and and slightly be anonymous as well i i don't know if there's maybe i'm reading too much into this but <laughs> I don't know if there's like something to do with like feeling a bit like that and then wanting to meet new people constantly. I don't know if you feel like that, but I feel like I love meeting new people. Yeah, like when I was in like like it's it, it, there's a real paradoxical paradoxical element to it though because I I genuinely feel fucking terrified at the thought of like I'm going to say something stupid, they're going to hate me, they're going like, to but I I it's like a a flame that I can't <laughs> I can't yeah. go away from. <laughs> And uh, I fucking love, like, I love going to, you know, like a party and then having a chat with this guy and like, yeah. hearing about his life. And then, yeah, like talking to this yeah. girl over here. And um, But do you think Maidenhead made us that way? Because we were always talking to random people in the pub. And when I moved into London, like, honestly, the group of guys who are still my friends now, when I first kind of met them randomly and I sort of stuck around, they couldn't get rid of me and then they became my friends. <laughs> <laughs> They were like, why are you so friendly to everyone? Why do you want to talk to everyone? Why do you want to, like, yeah. go to South London? Why don't we just stick to East London? I was like, because that's what 
like you do. Yeah. And I, I feel like that came, even though we wanted to escape, I think that came from Maidenhead. You would just talk to like the random guy or the random girl next to you at the pub, you know, and you'd get, you know, lathered together and that's it. Yeah, it's like for such a small town, um, I mean, it's got a population of like, I mean, is it a small town? I don't know, like 70,000? I always say small town. Yeah, there's a Maybe. romance to it if you say small town, isn't there? Yeah, like, I'm like small town by the river, maidenhead population. Like, when would when you say 1999? Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing our research here. Sure, yeah. So, but I feel like for such a small place, it did feel like, well, but let's let's clarify so it's not a small place but socially for like let's say 15 to 20 year olds it is actually quite a small place because it's the same like 100 people that go to the same pub every friday yeah. and saturday night right. but for that or, or with that in mind it feels like there was just this endless supply of randoms yeah that you could get talking to and like you would, I don't know, maybe one weekend your friend would bring their friend from a different college or uni in town. And and then the next weekend you'd all go off to see your mate's band in Reading. And then you'd meet someone there. And then they and then the next week they'd be in Maidenhead and hanging out. And like yeah. it, it didn't feel like the same five people constantly sat around a pub table. Yeah. It says 150,000. Oh, really? 2019. So I always said, yeah, around, yeah. Mm. And the reason why I always called it that I said that I was always from Maidenhead next to Windsor because it's the royal borough of Windsor and Maidenhead. <laughs> yeah, but then... Like, <laughs> <laughs> Did you say that oh, after they said that you were quite plummy? Yeah. Yeah. They're just like, why? You know, but I, I don't even hear that, you know. And, no. and even when I move into London, everyone's like, oh, you sound like you're from London. I'm like, no, I don't think so. Yeah, like, I admire your bravery for moving to a a foreign country where English is not the first language because um, I've gone out, I hope I'm not being disrespectful saying this, but I've gone out with girls who English is not their first language. Um, let me rephrase. I've bought women who English, no, uh, I've, <laughs> I've, I've gone out with girls who have, like English is not their first language and, um, and they've been lovely girls and we've got on great uh but i personally found it frustrating talking to them um having to abandon slang and expressions yeah. and speak really slowly so I they can understand and i like it must be that in like inverted for you being in amsterdam because like whenever you talk to uh, an amsterdam guy or an amsterdam girl like they must be on the receiving end of that but i'm assuming that they're way more patient and nice than i am because i like i mean i'm outwardly yeah. patient and nice but internally i'm thinking i'm gonna break up with you this is not working <laughs> terrifying <laughs> so the thing is about the dutch and especially i mean i mean dutch in amsterdam and let's say maybe rotterdam but amsterdam is that they get taught English from school, so from like junior school. Right. So actually, English is practically perfect. Cool. Um, so it is frustrating for them, for me to be like kind of that. My Dutch is, you know, not that great because they're just English. The thing that I miss is kind of that banter and that quickness that I have with my friends. Because if, if yeah. they hear me talking to my English friends, they're like, "Oh, I lost, I lost you." And I'm like, "See, we don't really speak that the same English." And the humour is completely. 
different. So I really miss yeah. that. And I really miss kind of like that kind of laddie, you know, jokey culture that we again grew up with. Or even like, you know, the London lads, you know, it's like cheap. Yeah. But, you know, I think I also miss Australians and, and Americans. I'm like, oh, um, anyone else that just doesn't speak, doesn't have English as their first language. So, yeah, I, I do feel the same probably. There is, there's definitely a sort of like, I mean, when you say like anglicised, it sounds like a sort of like bit of a dog whistle <laughs> like term. But it's like if I say, oh yeah, there's a real, I like things with anglicised yeah. names. Like, it, like immediately people could be like, this guy's a fucking I racist. Know. But like, but like with Aussies and Americans and Brits, um, I feel like there is a layer of banter and teasing. Yeah. And like verbal horseplay that is just, well, not not reciprocated, but rarely reciprocated yeah. or appreciated even in other it's tongues, not. right? So um, I'll give you an example. So um, I, I, I know a guy who's married, his, his wife is foreign, Eastern European, and uh, she overheard the way that he was talking to his mum, which was like yeah. mother to son, but very British and taking the piss out of each other. And her yeah. reaction to it was like, like why are you so disre- disrespectful to your mother yeah. and he's like ah and she's like i would never say that to my mother and he's yeah. just like this i mean we're just joking like like there's such a barrier there yes and i can't i can't imagine like how i would i'd just be like yeah. get a fucking grip this is how people talk exactly like i i mean i can notice myself doing it so like when i was doing my radio show with matt and like you know he'd start laughing because i'd suddenly blurt out a really British word that I wouldn't be able to stay, stay with my non-British friends. Yeah. But so British that he'd be like, what is that word? And I'm like, I'll just, oh, it popped from the back of my mind from somewhere because I know that I can say that to you. Whereas before I would have had to like re-explain it within, you know, with two sentences or, or something. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite hard. I'm reading a book called The Culture Map right now. And it is, you know, how to talk to different cultures and mm hierarchy and i always used to say there's like 16 layers of britishness because when i moved to the netherlands like they're really direct and they do they just ask for what they want and british people don't really ask for what they want so if you're in the office and you're going for lunch for instance and they're like does anyone want anything mm. even if you wanted something in the uk you wouldn't say it right yeah you're like oh, i'll come with you i'll come with you because you don't want to bother them yeah or, or you don't want to broadcast what you're about to eat for lunch across the room. And... Exactly, because you hate people talking about what you're going to eat as well. And here, I, I remember doing it when I first moved over. And I was like, oh, does anyone want anything? And kind of was already half out the door. And I ended up with this massive shopping list from my Dutch colleagues. Like, oh, can you just get me this, you know, this brocher, this bread? Yeah. And can you get me this and that? And I was like, because oh. <laughs> in England, you just would say no politely. And that never really hurt my I was like, oh, God. And they're like, I'll oh, give you the money back. And you're like, I'm broke. You know, I've just moved to this new country and like it's funny it'd be funny to like sort of pick that apart like truly honestly with the colleague just be like yeah. I know that it seems like I was offering that to you but I actually wasn't <laughs> offering that to you I was just trying to appear nice and then you actually quite rudely <laughs> took me up on my offer and now I have to feel rude about it addressing this with you so thanks very much They'd be exactly like, now you've made me look really yeah. bad Okay, so here's a weird question, right? So you've worked in recruitment. I've worked in recruitment. Um, do you think, right, that in... Right, so it, this blog, I think I mentioned this to you when we were texting, right? So this blog that I, I read, they had done some analysis and they said 
that in order for the US and the West to um, to compete with China on the global market, then America would have to start adopting China's policies in terms of basically being a dictatorship or authoritarian government. So yeah. like taking away people's rights, making them work like 15 hour days, no maternity, no paternity leave, like et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that's the only way that they can compete um, because that's how, how China have become yeah. basically number one. Yeah. And I wonder, right, how long do you think it will be? Not before they strip away maternity pay or stuff like that because I think that would immediately be too emotive and get protest movements but what about if somebody said like JP Morgan or Nike or someone said look we're not saying give up your weekend we're saying if you want to work in this role which is actually quite well paid you got to work Saturdays as well how long do you think that'll be I don't think it'd be that long good question because I'm like, it feels like that's the way it's going. Mm. That they're just going to be like, right, this is it. And like you said, sort of twist it like, it's Nike. You love working for Nike. I mean, we work late anyway, so you might as well work on a Saturday. And if you do, you know, get an extra, you know, Starbucks a day or something. Um, yeah. I mean, people do it a little bit without kind of having that. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's a meme that goes around on Twitter every now and yeah. then where they talk from a developer's point of view and they say... Being a developer is the only occupation where if somebody walks towards you with beers and pizza, this person is not your friend. Because yeah. that's the sign of like <laughs> a product manager basically saying, can you work late for me? Yeah. I mean, again, sort of being being in recruitment in IT and, and talking to developers and the fact that they had so much power because they could just tell you to like yeah. fuck off yeah. because so many people called them and they were in such high demand and you know so many people could try and offer things and they could just be like no fuck off or lie to you or whatever and I, I was a bit like oh my god how dare they you know but <laughs> just like but people need them and people want them and and you know they can charge what they want and and why not it's also the only job I've been familiar with both as a dev and as a tech recruiter where people are very happy to remain like in quotes just a dev like yeah. if you work in an estate agent and you become you like you're good at sales they'll yeah. make you a team leader and then an estate agency manager if you yeah. work in a hairdressers and you're good at hairdressing you don't just stay in like cutting hair you become the manager of yeah. the hairdresser but in dev like developers genuinely love developing and they don't almost across the board they don't really want to be a development manager or a tech no. manager they just want to code yeah it's a really weird anomaly because it's like i mean it sort of speaks to the idea that it's actually a really fun fucking thing to do it's very rewarding like building yeah. something seeing it come to life um I think that was one of the top three things if you were writing a job description for a for a dev person was like what is the um like, what's the fun bit about it? Like, what do they get to create? And that would kind of ensure. Yeah. Ensure. Ensure. Wow. <laughs> See, they're popping out. Somebody's done their vocal warm ups before this. <laughs> it's been two hours. Mm. Like, ensure um, that, like, they've got something that they're working towards that they can, like, be proud of. 
and that was kind of one of the the things like you know yeah you can get to be creative and yeah the other thing i think is like what they can learn in the role like there's this cliche that every job spec is always like oh so you know react cool yeah you must have 15 years of react experience and uh uh, 10 years of GraphQL and uh, Node.js and then you must also know like every database out there and also uh, every CSS framework and blah 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 yeah. um, and there, there's no mention of what they'll actually get to learn it's yeah. like which is really the big thing for developers they're like well I want to know like you know what I mean you, you are you're asking for this but th- is that what you want is that what I'm going to get to learn and like, I think what I learned as well, because they were like, we want a senior developer with 10 years, yeah, like you said, uh, you know, React or whatever, or C++. And then, you know, the the the, the person would come to me and say, well, that's impossible because that hasn't been around for 10 yeah. years. It's been around for five years. So what do they want, you know, if they mean senior, they just mean five years. They're just making this shit up. They yeah. don't know what they want. So, I mean, that's also probably why they came to us as a as a recruitment agency, but I, le- I learned a lot of stuff like that as well. We've been chatting for fucking ages. Um, I know. Thank you so much for joining me. And um, I will uh, endeavor to like pop all of your um, social media links and, and everything onto the YouTube. So if you want to catch up with Maxine, then uh, please check that out. And um, yeah, maybe uh, hopefully you'll join us for another episode in due course. Yes, I've loved it. It was lovely catching up. <laughs> we'll probably have to do it again uh, we'll do it yeah. again next time over a pub table uh, or if, if the pandemic like if the virus mutates or whatever then this is good too yeah end of January maybe I'll be in the UK so um, as long as you don't hop hop over to Amsterdam maybe we can be 1.5 square metres not square metres <laughs> metres apart from each other yeah it'd be good to see you and not hug yeah yeah <laughs> alright Maxine Penny, thank you so much. Thank you very much.